Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Wow! That was such an explosive worship session. Can we celebrate the Beckoners? Thank you. <laughs> really amazing. Really amazing. Amen. Hallelujah. Welcome your neighbor to church and um, have your sit in God's presence. You forgot the compliment. So give a sincere compliment. And then, um, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Amen. amen. <laughs> Praise God. It's just a privilege and an honor to be doing this from time to time. <laughs> thank you. I love you too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's such a joy and privilege. I don't take it for granted. It's an honor to pastor you. It's an honor to teach you God's word. It's an honor to um, be a shepherd over such an amazing set of people. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to pastor you. Amen. All right. Let's open our Bibles to the book of John, chapter 12. Praise God. John, chapter 12. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we give you praise. We give you praise. In the middle of the worship, someone got healed on, you know, somewhere here. I don't know who you are, but somewhere here while I was singing, it just occurred to me. Someone got healed. And I think we need to be more vocal about our testimonies in this church. We don't need to wait for testimony Sundays to, to give testimonies. It stirs up faith in the hearts of those who hear it. All right, so when you recognize that God did something in your life because of a word that came forth or because of a teaching or because of a prayer that you prayed, learn to just vocalize it, verbalize it, tell someone about it, share it with someone, share it with a leader. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So the healing is permanent in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 12 from verse 23. I hope we're ready for God's word this morning. Because you need to be ready. You need to re be ready to receive, to receive God's word. Amen. John chapter 12, verse 23. The Bible says, And Jesus answered and said to them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Jesus answered them and said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Then he begins to explain how the Son of God will be glorified. This is the path to glory. Verse 24. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides but alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit unto itself. So he says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then he explained the path to glory. 
it says, except a corner of which falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it can die, it says it will bring forth much fruit unto itself. Because the glory of a seed is in much fruit. The glory of a seed is in much fruit. God did not make any seed to remain a seed. God did not make any life to remain small. Do not believe the lie of the enemy. You were not designed to be born a seed and die a seed. God did not create you to stay small. So the glory of a seed is in much fruit, is in bearing much fruit. Now that bearing much fruit is its glorification. Amen. You need to really let that sink. Jesus is saying it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he explains the path to glory. He says, except a corner of which falls to the ground and dies, it abides but alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit unto itself. Because the glory of a seed is in much fruit. And there's none of us here under the sound of my voice, whether here physically or over the waves. Praise God. Is <laughs> designed by God to be small. You know, we've sang this song so much, we believe it. You will never share your glory with anybody. Almighty God, that is your name. There is nothing God created he did not put glory on. Nothing. He's too eager to share his glory. He's too eager. There is nothing he created without glory. Now, there are dispensations and differentiations in glories. But there's nothing that lacks glory. Nothing. Nothing. Because God is too glorious to create a thing that lacks glory. The challenge is that people try to take glory. No. You don't take glory. He gives you glory. Alright. He calls you to be a partaker of his glory and his virtue. According as his divine power has given us all things that pertains unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us. <laughs> He's not waiting for you to take it. He's calling you into glory and into virtue. So your life has a certain glory that you are yet to see because you have remained a seed. There is a glory component to your seed. There is a glory component. God did not create you to stay small, to stay in that little hut and just die there. God did not make you so tiny and limited. No. However, the challenge, the real challenge, is that a lot of seeds are afraid of the process into glory. They are afraid of what might happen if, because the path to glory is not just seed to glory. No. He explains it in 24. Except a corner of which falls to the ground and dies. It will abide alone. So the damnation of a lot of seeds is in their self-preservation. They don't want the seeds to die, so they keep the seed in a bottle. At least a living, undead seed is still better than a dead seed. No! No. Except you embrace the possibility of death, you will never see what that seed was designed to be. So you are too afraid to be glorious. You are too afraid to live a glorious life. That's the problem. 
anyone who stays as a seed the challenge of that person's life is fear they are too afraid to die they are too afraid to get into the unknown what if what what if they say what if my father doesn't accept what if people come against me? what if they attack me on social media what if it doesn't work out what if the path to glory is laden with uncertainties with the unknown it's laden with it and as long as you keep yourself in that bottle of safety, that's all you will ever be. Because the seed in a bottle for 2,000 years remains a seed. Age will not affect its growth. Until you embrace the possibility of death, you will abide alone. The Bible says it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for a seed to be alone. The Bible says except it falls to the ground and dies... It will not bring forth much fruit unto itself. It will abide alone. To abide alone is to be alienated from the structure that is designed to sponsor growth in the life of a person. Because a seed in a bottle has no infrastructure that can aid growth. It has no rain. It has no earth. It's all by itself. A seed. All by itself. The purpose of a seed is not to stay a seed and die a seed. It's to bring forth much fruit unto itself. But a lot of people have preferred to stay in that bottle of safety, that bottle of predictable outcomes. Uh, you know, that bottle, that place that almost guarantees that nothing wrong will happen to you. That is not the path to glory. That's not the path to glory. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So you've got to embrace the possibility of death in order to stand a chance of seeing what that seed is designed to become. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Hallelujah. Wow. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Where is that? Can you read verse 42? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll like it in TPT or NLT. Let me read it first in KJV. It says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. I need you to pay attention this morning. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. That seed that you are preserving from dying is corruption. Did you hear that? That seed you are glorifying and saying, at least I'm safe. At least I'm not dead. At least I have money to take care of my needs. And you know, at least my family is okay. At least I'm in that zone where I don't have to demonstrate faith. At least I'm self-preserved. Bible calls it corruption. Calls it corruption. And it says, for those of you still looking for 1 Corinthians, it's right after the Cadetians. Amen. Praise God. Bible says that it is sown in dishonor. Bible says it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised in spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. When I read this, all I see is Joseph. 
All I see really is Joseph. Because when you juxtapose his life before prime minister to his life after prime minister, you know that was not a linear progression. Something happened in between. This is not a, a growth path or a graph that you can plot. No. You can't plot that graph. You can't. Even Joseph cannot. Listen, listen. The path that God has designed for your glory is not a graph you can plot. You can't plot it. If it's a graph you can plan in your, in your five-year plan, it's not God. It's not God. Though. You can't plot it. It's a graph that only resurrection can activate. Because resurrection is a non-linear, exponential transformation. Non-linear. It is not arithmetic. You can't explain it. It's a non-linear, exponential transformation from the realm of mortality into another dimension called immortality. But resurrection can only be triggered by death. So, in insisting that you, your life is glorious, he must insist on death. He can't give you glory without death. If he could, he would have done it for his only begotten. He didn't spare Jesus. You, you, you can't be spared. And it is in love for you that he won't spare you from death. And he's not asking you to die physical death. Jesus did that for a spiritual reason. It is so that your flesh can die. And so that it can be quickened supernaturally. Because resurrection is the only thing that transports that seed into much fruit. It has to die first. Because every glory must be God's. He will now call you to share in it. Every glory must be God's. Arithmetic growth does not glorify God. It, it glorifies your hard work. It glorifies your effort. It glorifies your burning of the candles. It does not glorify God. It just glorifies your calculations. It glorifies your connections. It glorifies your networking. It glorifies everything you are able to do in the flesh. It does not glorify God. Have you ever seen a dead man come back to life and say, you see, I raised? No. Somebody raised me. Jesus was raised from the dead, not by himself. Bible calls it by the glory of the Father. That's the person that raised him, the Holy Ghost. He's the glory of the Father. Resurrection is what can transport your seed into glory. It's the only thing. Because resurrection is a non-linear, exponential transformation. Because 13 years before, that is not an arithmetic growth. 13 years before, this guy was begging for his life to be spared. In the hands of conniving brothers, they, they had beaten him up, put him in a pit, bargaining for his life. 13 years after. He's not just the prime minister because he was going to narrate it to Jacob and he narrated it in the real spirit of the narration. He did not call himself prime minister. He said, God has made me the father to Pharaoh. That was his spiritual capacity. Then the father to Pharaoh, all his brothers began to beg for their safety and sparing of their lives. The same boy, 13 years before, who was at their mercy. The same boy who was begging and saying, please don't kill me. Please just spare my life. The same boy they all called dead to their father. The same boy who was weak, sown in weakness. Sown in corruption. 
sown in limitation. Bible says raised in power, raised in glory, raised in strength, raised into immortality, raised into eternal relevance. That's it. Only resurrection can do that. Only resurrection. Joseph's growth is not arithmetic. How do you become the father to Pharaoh? No matter the kind of connection you have, the best you can get, the best of status you can get, is a friend of Pharaoh. Pharaoh likes you, so he invites you to his, to his palace from time to time. How do you become the father to Pharaoh? How? 30-year-old boy becoming the father to Pharaoh, the most powerful tyrant upon the face of the earth. How? You can't plot that graph. Only resurrection can make it happen. Only resurrection. But resurrection has a precondition. Death. So, the sisters of Lazarus were looking for deliverance. But God preferred something better for Lazarus. So, he waited till he died. That waiting period sometimes feels like contradiction. Why are you stalling so long? Why are you not answering me already? God doesn't want you to, to get an inferior blessing. That's why. He doesn't want you to get something inferior to resurrection. So, he doesn't want to just deliver you. He wants you to die. So that he can activate resurrection. Because if you don't die, there is no, resurrection doesn't happen on living souls. It happens only to dead, dead people. <laughs> because only resurrection can activate your glory. God wants you to say your story. And nobody will get the glory except him. That you will explain it. And they can't say, oh, but this guy is hardworking. They can't say it. They won't be able to say, ah, this guy, ah, how can I be like you? They can't be like you. They can't replicate it because it's not a pattern in the mortal realm. You can't replicate that pattern. It's a pattern that only the Holy Ghost can activate. And only death, only death precedes it. Only death. And he must certify death. You know the way you carry a, a dead body to the morgue? And they must certify dead. Your, your certification inside your room is not certification. The professionals have to certify that this person is dead. The Holy Ghost will ensure that. He will ensure that you are dead first. Because when you want to certify someone is dead, you check the pulse. Is it gone? And you slap the person. Is there a response to stimuli? When there is absolutely no response, when there are no pulses, then it's dead. And there will be processes that it will subject you to to certify that death. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Because only resurrection can trigger glory. And God didn't make your life to be small. So in order to glorify you, he must kill you. He wants to glorify you. That's exactly why he would have to kill your flesh. And this is why I'm going to be going into the core of my teaching this morning. Which is the proof of death. What, what is the proof that somebody's dead? What is the proof? That you're dead, ready for resurrection. Because you think you're ready, but you're not. Ah, but I've been dying since. <laughs> I died daily. And he says, no, you are not yet dead. <laughs> you're not yet dead. Except the corner of it falls to the ground and dies. Dies. It abides alone. But if it dies, ooh, if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Much. Much more than whatever it is in the bottle can produce. Much more. 
That which you are trying to preserve, kill it, kill it, kill it. That money you are trying to save, give it. That is resurrection. Don't you understand? That is how it works. You can't save up to the billions God wants to bring into your life. You, you can't. You're, you're keeping that seed and gathering all the seeds. Cannot produce one harvest. It can't. So what do you do? You sow it into the ground. Let it die. Give it up. And then it will return. And when it returns, it won't come back the same way you give it up. It will come back in another body. No resurrected body comes back the same. None. The limited body of Jesus could be nailed. The limited body of Jesus was limited by matter, space, and time. But the resurrected body. He was telling them, I will get to Jerusalem before you. And it was here. <laughs> because he's resurrected. And between that period, he went to heaven, came back, and he still got there before. Abba, Abba, resurrection. And you are entering, entering into walls, resurrected body. Unstopped, unlimited. God wants to create your life. Thank God, unlimited. See? That's not... It's a person's name of you know. What <laughs> <Before> you think? <laughs> His name is Thank God. So God wants to put unlimited in front of him. And unlimited can only come by resurrection. Can only come by resurrection. So death is what must precede resurrection. It must precede it. Because when you see the glorified body of Joseph, it doesn't look anything like his corrupt body. When his brothers looked at him, they couldn't recognize him. They had not died, so they looked the exact the same. But he had died. He had been resurrected. Every flesh in him had died. They said, let's, let's give you the role. He said, no, find amongst yourself. Whoever it is you think can handle this. He had died. He had died. This guy was dead. Then God said, you are ready. While you are looking for that spotlight, you are not ready for it. Those who least resist or those who least desire spotlight are the ones that stay longest in it. Those who least desire that spotlight... They're the ones that stay longest in it. While you are looking for it, God just keeps, he keeps shifting it away from you. Because he that loves his life cannot find it. You have to lose your life to find it. Check verse 24 and then verse 25. John 12. He that loves his life will lose it. Because that's the path to death. That's the path to death. John 12, 25. You need to understand that this is the story of our lives. It's not the resurrection that happens after we go to be with the Lord. There is that. But there is a, resur there is a resurrection that is dependent on you dying and then being glorified on earth. On earth. There is a resurrection that God wants to implant into your life. There is a resurrection that can only activate the glory that God has created into you. Because while you are still in your seed state, God cannot get the glory out of your life. God can't. That's not the glory of a seed to stay in the bottle. No, that's not the glory of the seed. The glory of the seed is for it to become the forest it was designed to be. Verse 25 says, He that loves his life shall lose it. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. There is a kind of death you must die for his glory to be activated in your life. But there must be a proof of death. What is the proof of death? I've come to realize that one of the highest proofs of death in our Christian experience is forgiveness. I've come to realize that. I've come to realize it. That's it. That is it. Every patriarch that is everlasting in their status eternally, they entered through this path called forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness, guys. If you are not able to forgive, your cells are too active. There's too much pulse. If I slap you, slap your own back. You are not dead yet. Forgiveness is the certification that you are indeed fully certified dead. And how can we establish forgiveness if there is no intensity of offense? How? Intensity. So ah, if you pinch him, maybe he's pretending. But if I, if I rock him, or if I smite him, maybe he would, he would jack back to like, you can't take this one. Ah, kill your day. Ah, what? <laughs> no, so kind of slaps can bring people back to, to life. Because you pinch the guy, he's not responding. But you now want to intensify the level of assault to prove that he's really dead. Because it doesn't matter the level of assault you inflict on a dead man. He's dead. No response. So God would intensify a level of offense. Cook it well. Because these people did not betray Joseph. They didn't lie against him. Many of us are still holding on to the lies of two, three years ago. Someone betrayed you. They didn't lie against him. They attempted to kill him. Think about it. They didn't betray you. They didn't lie against you. They came to kill you. Somebody begs for you. Then they sold you into slavery. They would have killed you. Left to themselves. They would have killed you. These were the people he had to forgive. He had to forgive them. Because his life was for them. You know this idea of, oh, don't worry, I'm forgiving you, but please, just stay your lane, I stay my lane. You were designed to save them. They can't stay in Jerusalem while you're in Egypt. They can't stay in Israel. They, you have to take care of them. Your life has to now literally be about them. You know, so some of these are ideologies about, you know what, I forgive you, but you see, it's a level, right? I forgive you, but if your destiny is hinged on preserving the person who just offended you, what do you do? What do you do? The person who just offended you at this level, attempted murder, and then he says your life, the entire purpose of your life is to preserve that person. How do you relate with that? So the people you are supposed to save are the ones that nailed you to the cross. And then you have to say, Father, forgive them first to prepare your mind for resurrection, to prepare your life for resurrection. Forgiveness must be established. It must be established must be established. Joseph had to forgive the unforgivable. You don't forgive such people. You let them go, yes, but you take them as far away from you as possible, except God has revealed to you that your life's purpose and mission is to preserve these people. It's to preserve them. So you must forgive them. Else, you can't be in that position. Because the reason for you being in that position is to preserve them. So if you're not capable of forgiving those people for whom you were sustained to preserve there is no point for you being prime minister your prime ministership is useless there's no meaning to it because this is not a kingdom where we just assume positions for the sake of positions we don't assume positions just because the name is good and it will rate good on your cv no you assume them because a nation needs to be preserved because a people needs to be preserved that is why god places you in that position and if you are too offended at those people god will you suddenly make your positions Open to be replaced. 
you, you can then be reflected. There's no purpose to you. Why am I keeping you here if you're just going to preserve Egypt? Israel is the purpose for Egypt. The reason why Egypt is surviving is because of Israel. The reason why Israel or Egypt is Egypt is because of Israel. So if I made you the prime minister in Egypt, it's because there is a preservation of Israel that I'm looking for. And if you're not willing to submit to the Father of Spirit in forgiveness, there's no basis for me keeping you in this position. There's no basis. Because unforgiveness shows three things. It shows pride and self-importance. And there's some of you here who may not have forgiven somebody that has hurt you. It's a very dangerous thing. Extremely dangerous. Extremely. Don't try it. You don't need it. You don't need it though. Pride and self-importance. <laughs> you have exalted your little rift or grievance above the purpose of God. So he did this to me. Why, why, why would he do that to me? And he has not even apologized. What if God tells you to apologize in advance? Bef you apologize on both of you's behalf. What if God tells you that? He wants to kill something. But you're like, no. I know my worth. How many of you have watched that? <laughs> I know my worth. <laughs> right? I know my worth. So he's the one that should come. No, God is saying, go, go. Because it shows pride, it shows, it shows self-importance, it shows ego. It shows you are willing to sabotage all the plans of God just to get at someone. You can't handle power like that. You can't handle God's power like that. Because you use God's power, which was designed to save a nation for self-preservation and vendetta. To get at somebody for, for, for self-vindication. So that you can let the person know that you are now powerful. God will never enthrone such a person with unlimited power. Never, never. Because that person is not a forgiving spirit. Forgiveness is powerful. Few people got to that level where they express the highest demonstration of forgiveness. People like Stephen. Imagine people slapping you with stones and then as you are seeing the Lord Jesus, your, your lips are tearing, your back is hurting and you are crumbling to the ground and you in that moment are in such consciousness and control of your range. And you say, Father, no, no. Almost as though he had seen legions of angels about to be released upon these guys. And he says, no, no, no. Let it go. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. Forgiveness is powerful. It makes you ready for resurrection. What did we see on Stephen? His face shone. Resurrection happened while he was still alive. While he was still alive, he had transited. His face began to shine because resurrection had happened. Because he had forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Unforgiveness keeps you in a fixed and locked time zone. Everything in your life has to backdate to that moment of hurt. You never, any heart that is not forgiven is a heart that does not grow. Is a heart that does not evolve, that does not get better. Is a heart that is fixed in the past. And it's a prison that you, you alone have the key to. It's a prison where the prisoner is the owner of the key and he has refused to unlock himself. Such deprivation. How can you the prisoner on the key to your escape and you refuse to use it. That is what unforgiveness is. God is calling you out to a life of glory. But you say, I want to stay in this box of hurt. It's a high iron, iron, an iron cage. Self-erected iron cage. 
You own the key, but you say, no, I will not let this person go. But you are the one not moving forward. You are the one not able to enter into your destiny and to your glory. Because you have exalted these hearts above the plans of God. You think the person could have hurt you without the permission of God? Why are you not exalting these plans? Or rather, this, this hurt and this feeling of pain over and above the plan and purposes of God. Because while you are exalting it over and above the plan and purposes of God, you cannot move an inch closer to that plan. You are there. You are stuck there. You are stuck there. You've got to forgive. Forgiveness is proof that you are dead. If you are not willing to forgive people, you are, you are still too full of pulse. So malice, jealousy, envy, they are sub-departments under unforgiveness. Sub-departments under unforgiveness. You need to forgive. You need to let things go. Nothing can happen to you if you're on the path of destiny. Nothing can happen to you without God's permission. Number two, he shows a lack of revelation knowledge. Do you know there's a parable in Matthew 18 that is so powerful. Sometimes I wonder, why would God give such a parable? Because you need to meditate on, on this parable to understand the magnitude of what Jesus is saying here. He says that there is a servant that owes a king an amount. 200 talents, I believe. And then... Is it 100 or 200? And then you go calculate what 200 talents mean in contemporary days. You realize that it means 3.48 billion dollars. 3.48 billion dollars. And in that time, if you extrapolate it back to that time, you realize that it is about 200,000 years worth of labor. Did you hear that? 200,000 years worth of labor. 200,000 years. How did he owe that much? How? Because he's not talking about a debt you owed in the flesh. It's a debt your nature owed him. The sin nature is heavier than the action sin. The, the, the sin that you act out is tashere compared to the sin nature. Do you understand? So it's a debt you really can never repay. You can't repay it. You can't work hard enough to pay the king back. It's 200,000 years worth of labor. You have only 80 years. Did you, did, you see what, did you see what the king said? The king said, in order to recoup my debt, you have to sell him, sell his wife, sell his children, Perhaps I'll be able to at least recoup something from you. You don't have enough lifetime to owe God that much, but you owe Him that much because the weight of your sin nature is that much. It's that much. And then he begs the king, and the king says, I forgive you. He had compassion. And then the guy stepped out. The Bible says he, set, he saw another servant that was owing him. 100 pence. 100 pence in today's is 500 naira. 500 naira. Compared to 3.48 billion dollars. Billion. I tried calculating it in naira. My calculator could not finish it. Because to now multiply that by 500, it just used E equal. Rest about 50. I don't know. It just, it just messed the whole thing up. I couldn't now conceptualize the actual amount in Naira. So the best we can still use is billion dollars. 
times 500 to give you the Naira equivalent, which by now is 600 and something or something, right? To give you the Naira equivalent and then compare that to 500 Naira. There is no offense anyone has offended you. It is equivalent to 500 Naira over $3.48 billion. That is the perspective you must have. Did you see that? Exalt it as much as you want to. It's 500 Naira. 500 Naira. So you know what God did? God forgave you 3.48 billion so that every offense anybody ever offended you, be removing it from the 3.48. You will spend a lifetime. You can't exhaust it. It's a forgiveness that has been given in advance. How many 500 Naira can you remove from 3.48 billion? Try it. Try to calculate it. How many 500 Naira? You still have to perform a billion. Nothing has changed. How many 500 Nairas? Really, think about it. That is the foolishness of unforgiveness. You exalt 500 Naira over 3.4 billion. And you say, ah, this 500 Naira that you did to me. Do you know what you did to God? And yet, while you were dead in trespasses and sins, he quickened you. Now you are going to hold on to 500 Naira when I'm asking you to come and receive 3.4 billion. Say, no, 500 Naira is what I want. You see why anyone who is in unforgiveness cannot receive the grace of God? Because while you are holding on to 500 naira, you can't receive 3.48 billion. You can't. This is why the Bible says, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because he's holding out 3.48 billion. You are holding on to 500 naira. And so he's giving you, it's not that he, he, he doesn't want to forgive you because he wants you to forgive first. Not really. It's because you can't receive it until you forgive. Forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive. As we forgive. Just as we forgive those who trespass against us, we can then receive the forgiveness of our own sins. 3.48 billion is what you owed God and he wrote it off. And then you are hounding a person owing you 500 naira and say, you must give it to me now. It's dishonor to God. Is he a fool for forgiving you? That is this person that you will now hold on to. I know it was rape. I know. But it's 500 naira. I know. Rape is huge. And I remember sharing here. That was LOML the first Sunday. I talked about the gravity of rape. So I'm not in any way discounting the gravity of the offense of rape. I'm not. But when you understand and you have revelation knowledge. You compare that rape to your forgiveness. It's 500 naira. And here we are. 3.48 billion. So God is saying you have 3.48 in your account. Anybody that offends you is owing you 500, or you are owing the person, or the person is owing you 500 naira, just write it off. Collect it from the 3.48. Write it off as a debt. You can't exhaust it. You can't. So why do we still hold on to our 500 naira and say you don't know what it did to me? If God has to explain to you what you did to him, what if God has to explain to you to what you did that justifies him from not forgiving you? Don't be unfaithful, don't be unjust, and don't be unwise. Don't be unthankful. Forgive. Because Joseph would never have entered into glory. He would never have been resurrected if he did not forgive. If he did not have the capacity to forgive. These guys kept saying, we are the ones responsible for your calamity. He said, forget about it. God used you to sponsor me into glory. 
Somebody had to kill me at, at, at some point. I had to die. God just used you as the plowman that was going to kill me and sow me into the ground. You really couldn't have done better. What you did exactly was what I needed. He saw it in perspective and in revelation. If you don't have revelation knowledge, that is why you keep exalting little things. Small matters. Whatever it is, however huge it is, I understand. But compared to the forgiveness you already received, it's so tiny and insignificant that it makes no sense in the courts of God to be arguing about it. It makes no sense. So you just let it go. Because as you're letting it go, you're getting ready for resurrection. As you're letting it go, you're, because every one of them, before they experience resurrection, they have to let it go. How did David experience resurrection? He had to let Saul go. Even in death, he did not say a word about Saul. Even in death. When nobody would hound him for saying anything about Saul, even in death, he was still saying, where can I bless any man? Is there still anyone in the house of Saul that I can bless for Jonathan, his son's sake? Never said a bad word about Saul. In fact, he released an album. This guy wanted to kill you. This guy pursued you with all of the artillery of the nation to kill you and just finish you and throw you to the dogs. He had no regard for your life. And twice you got the chance to kill him. And twice your men said, please, I've been practicing this shooting for a while. If you just give me one chance, I won't miss it. Please, let me just practicalize my, my skills. And no, you don't do that. And the person who came to report, thinking that David was going to accept him and hug him and say, Ah, oh, well. You know when you're, the team, the team that is just one point ahead of you, loses, and you have one game in hand. <laughs> Something is happening this evening. You understand? The team that is just ahead of you, one game in hand you have, but then you heard that they lost. You know, it almost feels like your victory. Their loss becomes your victory. You have not even played your own match in handle. But because you heard that they lost, you are excited. Because now there's a chance. Right? Shouldn't that have been the response and the reaction of David? The person that was waiting to exit the throne has now exited. Now, finally, I can embrace the throne as mine. I've been anointed for the past 13 years. I've not smelled this throne. This guy has been haunting my life. Now he's finally dead. Let me, let me just throw a party. Bible says David mourned. The person that brought the news, who he thought was good news, Bible says David looked at his men. He said, fall upon him. That, that was the technical term for killing people back then. Fall upon him. And then he entered into mourning. Saul? Is this Saul you're mourning for? Saul? You can't resurrect without forgiveness. You can't. You can't. You want to enter into all of God's plan for your life. And you want your blowing as a statement to those who doubted you. You have not ready. You know that sense of when I blow, they will know. That is not God speaking. That's not God. Ah, they said I will never make it. Now I've made it. And you now drive on that street that they said you are not going to make it. You are now pumping the, you are pumping the, the, the what do you call it? The horn. And your Bugatti, you are making it clear. That, See, I made it all. You said I was not going to make it. That's not God. Because when Jesus resurrected, he didn't, he didn't go to Pilate. He did not. He moved on. He didn't prove any point. Your resurrection is not to prove a point. There is much more tied to your resurrection than just proving a point and to gratify your flesh. And then you want to post everything that God has done in your life on Instagram just to show people that you have made it. This is not God. That's not God. That's not how God works. 
You've got to forgive. Let things go. And if God sends you back to those same people, like Abraham had to do with Lot, the person that threw your goodness and benevolence back at you, slapped you with it. Everything you ever became, this guy made you become it. And then he presents to you the choice of choosing between two lands. And then you chose the better one. In your foolishness, you chose the best. You didn't even give the honor. I say, Abraham, uh -uh, you are there's no way I'll be choosing anything if you don't go first. And this guy says, eh, okay, uh, let me see. Uh, excuse me, sir. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay. Used his leg to test the soil. Ah, solid stuff. Saw the lush land. Then he saw this one full of briars and thorns and thistles. And then he said, this one, this is what I want. <laughs> this one this is good. At least after five years with my strategic plan and my agricultural management, I'll be richer than this guy. And he, he went with what he thought was better. And then after that, he was captured. And Abraham did not say, well, let the tree fall where it may. Let it fall where it may. I mean, he, he, he put himself there. He's now in trouble. What if the person that dishonored you gets into trouble? Wouldn't you say good for him? Wouldn't you say, well, it was his dishonor that landed him in trouble. What's my business? Because forgiveness is beyond a heart mental accent. So oh, I've forgiven him. No, God will require that you do something to prove that you have really forgiven. Have you forgiven? Oh, go and save him. Take all your household, risk their lives. Risk the promise to save an ungrateful man. And then he did it. And then even after receiving everything back in one piece, it did not take a dime. And no, I didn't do it because of anything I want to receive. I have truly forgiven this guy. Forget, I forgive you. Nothing. I have nothing against you. Nothing in me will feel bad if something good happens to you. Nothing in me will feel bad. Praise the name of the Lord. This is where God will take every one of us to. Because, you see, all these things, malice, jealousy, they are sub-departmental, like I said. Under unforgiveness. Just sub-departments. Something happens and you say, good for him. He has sown the bad seeds. He must reap it. Let God be the judge of that. Your heart must be rid of such things. Because the Bible says unforgiveness can create a root of bitterness. And that root of bitterness will not just defile you, it will defile many Many people will be affected adversely because you failed to forgive. Has anybody done something that was so hurtful to you that you feel like this person doesn't deserve to live? This guy should die. Like, you wish the person dead. And maybe, this is a tough message. It's a tough one. Maybe we need to forgive our, our leaders. To experience resurrection. Because arithmetic growth cannot change Nigeria. And I just sense it in my spirit now. I think a lot of us have said too many evil things. About our leaders that Jesus died for. Jesus died for them too. He did. Maybe we need to forgive them. And genuinely start praying for them. Not the kind of prayer that God should just eliminate and just don't die. You know, some of us become very vicious. We become another person in prayer while we are praying against those people. We, the things we normally don't think of, the kind of evil we don't think of, we begin to conceptualize the evil. 
This is how they should die, Lord. If you can give me a chance to recommend. They should not die normal death. Oh. The kind of death that ah, they will look for their body. They won't find it. That kind of... And I, I'm, I'm telling you, a lot of people have gotten into the place of prayer and began to manufacture all kinds of, you know, 100 ways to die. They've, they've meditated enough. And quite honestly, I think that is stalling our resurrection. Because what will change Nigeria? You see, it will literally be like in a twinkle of an eye. In a twinkle of an eye. Overnight, it will look like it. Because only resurrection can save Nigeria. Only resurrection. Really. Maybe the church needs to start praying for our, for our leaders. Honest prayers. Genuine prayers. And just say, God, help them. Help them. I, I know they are the reason for a lot of things. I know. I know Levi and Simeon killed people. Don't you understand? Levi and Simeon entered a place because their sister was violated. And they killed everybody there. People that knew about it and people that did not know about it, they killed everybody. Everybody. Ah! But mercy, Lord. Mercy. Mercy. Because that is how you become like Christ. You don't become like Christ by evaluating the offense. And trying to put on a scale. You become like Christ by whatever it is, it is. I forgive. That is how Christ is. It doesn't matter what they did. Others may draw a sword. I will not. I'll forgive. Others may cut ears. I will not. I'll forgive. It's tough. Listen, this is the height. Oh. You may think you are a forgiver, but you, you've not. Ah, I forgive you. I don't hold anybody. Ah, but you've not. You've not. You've not forgiven your leaders. You've not forgiven the politicians. You've not forgiven them. I know what. Say, let God be the judge. Let your own role be forgiveness. Let your own role be forgiveness. Some people wanted to call down fire from heaven to kill some boys. And then Jesus said, you don't know the kind of spirit you are of. This is not the kind of spirit you are of. This is not the kind. Nero was killing Christians in Rome. Killing, he would burn them on a stake. Kill them. And then he would call everybody to come and sport with them. That is, the sporting activity for the day was that everybody would gather in the Colosseum and then it will burn Christians alive just to dissuade any other person that wants to partake of that Christian faith. Guess what? For everybody killed, seven more people got born again. How? Why? Because while they were dying, they were singing. While they were dying, they were forgiving. While they were dying, they were not laying it in their charge. They were saying, Father, forgive them. And they will sing unto the Lord. And then while they did that, people will look at them and they'll be like, what? I want this thing. How can you be dying and sinking? And for everybody that died, more people got saved. So his strategy became counterproductive. The very same thing that was supposed to discourage people from becoming Christians became the sponsor of evangelism. The very same thing. Because Christians, we are made of another cloth. We don't, we don't hold on to offense. We have $3.4 billion in our account of forgiveness. Why hold on to 500 naira? Why? This is a tough message. This is not to excite you. This is to get you to a point where you can now be ready for resurrection. A lot of you, God has not transformed your life because you are holding on to a hurt. And every time God sent his blessing to 2022, you are still in 2001. You are still in 2008. You are still in 2012. You have not moved beyond it. Somebody offended you. How about you move on? And then enter into the blessing that is designated for 2022. Your life is still in 2013. Because the offense is that old. 
I like, no, until I see his death tomb, I will not move. Ah, you may see your death tomb before him because God is a forgiver. God is a forgiver. Let it go. Number one thing that your unforgiveness shows, pride and self-importance. Number two, a lack of revelation knowledge. Number three, a lack of courage to fulfill your destiny. Jesus knew that forgiveness is the only way he gets a chance to save you. It's the only way. He really wants to hold on to the offense. But really, for the purpose of the purpose, <laughs> I will let it go. While you're holding on to that offense, you can't enter into your destiny. While you're holding on to that offense, you can't be promoted as a prime minister. You really cannot. You really cannot. You really cannot. You need to forgive. And just become light. Lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset. Unforgiveness is a sin. It's a slap to God's face. It's a dishonor to his sacrifice. How could he come, die, shed his holy blood, and then you cannot even just shed some of your pride and ego and let go. He shed his blood. Because really, why you don't want to forgive is because of pride. Why would he do that to me? Who are you really? Are you really that important in the scheme of things? Who is more important, Jesus or you? And then you exalt your offense above the sacrifice of Jesus. You have received so much and you can't give so little. Why? You have extremely magnified yourself above measure. That's the problem. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. So even if not everybody has someone in their mind that they're holding on to, I'm certain that a lot of us are holding politicians in our minds. A lot of us. I really believe that with all my heart. Maybe even me. I'm telling you. Because you read the news and you, you just, the spirit of cursing just wants to enter your mouth. You just want to curse. You just want to, you just want to get your frustrations out on someone. How can a government be this? And then the Holy Ghost says no. That's not how you build. That's not how you build. That's not how you build. Forgiveness is proof of death. And death is preconditioned to resurrection. So if you're here, you're yet to forgive someone. I'm going to ask that everyone closes their eyes because I believe the Lord wants to do a work in hearts of people this morning. Beyond this message is what God wants to do. Really. Someone has hurt you so much, so badly. Maybe your husband. Maybe your wife. Maybe your friend. Maybe someone that just dishonors you, disrespects you, just talks to you anyhow. Just makes it look like you're nothing. But a piece of rag or something like and you really you just want to curse them out and you are yet to forgive that person can I see your hands up can I see your hands up let me see your hands up let me see your hands up can you stand can you stand can you stand can you stand? Forgiveness is the last bus stop to resurrection. You can't experience resurrection without forgiveness. You can't. You can't. There's still one more person, at least. One more person. You're holding on so much to something that you should let go of. And you have stayed in a fixed time zone. You have not let go. And if we look at you, you're a nice person. It's like you smile. You're, you're a cute person. You, you're, you're, you're nice. But every time you think about that thing, 
you just want to curse. You just want to swear. You just want to afflict and inflict pain and injury. No, you are stalling your resurrection. You are stalling your resurrection. I know it hurts. Sometimes it, it hurts a lot to forgive. I know. It hurts so badly. And I'm teaching this because of you. Literally. You are the reason why I taught this today. Could have taught a lot of other things. But Joseph said, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. Come on. It's fine. I'm here now for you. And you know the funny thing? God says to tell you, the people you are offended at, ah, you have a ministry to them. Wow. That's, that's, that's the heavy thing, you know. That's the heavy thing. That's the heavy thing. That's the really heavy thing. And if you're not willing to execute that ministry you have towards them, you didn't forgive them. Don't explain the forgiveness that only happens in your head. You've got to act it out. You've got to act it out. You can't keep saying, well, I've forgiven him, but I don't want to see him in my house. I've forgiven him, I'll never give him anything. I've forgiven him, but I really don't want to talk about it again. Please, let me be. Maybe you have a ministry for them. And the ministry may be prayer. It doesn't have to be you going to do anything for them, but it may just be prayer, interceding for them, blessing them from your heart. Can you speak to God this morning and exalt his forgiveness over your life? Exalt it, exalt it, exalt it. The debt you owed God, you did not live long enough to owe it. You didn't, you didn't have, it was not your life that you used to commit that much atrocity to all God that much. It was the fact that you came undone. You came a sinner. You were so full of sin just by being born. In iniquity, your father gave birth to you. Your mother gave birth to you. In iniquity, you were born and bred and groomed in iniquity. That iniquity is heavier than your actions. It's heavier. It's the iniquity that cost God, his son, his only begotten cost God his son. And then you look at what God did and you discount it. You say it doesn't mean much. And then you magnify the hurt someone did. Repent before God this morning. Repent. Say, no, Lord, I I'm sorry. I should never have held on to such a pain and such a hurt. It's insignificant compared to your forgiveness over my life. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for disrespecting your sacrifice over my life. I'm sorry for disrespecting your preservation over my life. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgive. Today, I forgive from my heart. Go ask Joyce Meyer. Over 200 times, her father raped her. Over 200 times. Over 200 times. And then, she held on to it for such a long time. And her life was miserable. Until the Holy Ghost told her, Hey, you need to forgive. What? Forgive my father? Never. And after a lot of battle with the Holy Ghost, she said, okay, I'll forgive. That's fine. No problem. I'll forgive. And then the Holy Ghost says, build him a house beside yours. Wow. Come on. Why? Why? But until she did that, her ministry never rose. Her ministry never became what we know it to be today. Because forgiveness is the certification of death. Stephen had died before he really died. Because he was willing to forgive. And the moment he forgave, resurrection happened. His face began to shine. His face began to shine. The life God wants you to have is not a life that you can explain from seed to more seed. No! It's from seed to much fruit. 
It's not arithmetic. It's not linear. It's a non-linear exponential transformation of your life. But you're holding on to something that is keeping all of that at bay. Can you let it go? Forgive from your heart. Forgive. Forgive from your heart. If you need someone to talk to after service, you can speak to any of the pastors. Just to walk you through that period or that season or that process of forgiveness. But you have to forgive. There's nothing you can do. You just have to. If you don't forgive, it shows that your stimuli is still very active. Your pulses are still very active. And until the flesh is dead, resurrection cannot be triggered. Resurrection cannot be triggered. He wants you dead. And forgiveness is the only thing that certifies that you are indeed dead. That's the only thing. That's the only thing. Father Lord, can you just raise your hands unto the Lord? Almost like a, like a funnel. For those ones standing, Lord, I, I present these ones before you this morning. And I ask that, help them. Supply them the grace to forgive. Supply them the grace to forgive. Help them let go. Even as they've raised their hands unto you, let them let go. Help them let go. As they've raised their hands unto you right now, help them to forgive. Help them to let go. And Lord, pour all the love and grace and honor and supernatural blessings and breakthroughs and testimonies and favors and prosperity that you have been holding back for such a long time. Pour it out all on their lives right now. Right now. That which they've been holding on to that has been holding them from experiencing all of God's grace and favor. Father, Lord, right now, let an avalanche overwhelm them. An avalanche from the throne of grace. Let it overwhelm them. In the name of Jesus. Father, we give you praise. And we give you honor. For in Jesus' precious name we have prayed. Please have your seats. So I encourage every one of us here to pray for our leaders. Pray for President Muhammad Dubuari. Pray for him. Love him. Crazy, I know. It's crazy, I know, like, but we've got to love. That's the only way we know. Because that's the only path and chance to resurrection. We've got to die. Maybe Nigeria is waiting on us. We're waiting on Nigeria to change. Nigeria is waiting on us to change. We're waiting for Nigeria to change, and Nigeria is waiting on us to change. Some things are tough, I know. But that's the only pathway to resurrection. Abraham, Joseph, David, Jesus, Stephen. No resurrection without death. You need to embrace death. And that means you must be willing to undergo the process that certifies you dead, which is forgiveness. Father, we thank you. We ask that this word is established into everyone in all truth and in all righteousness in Jesus' name. Can I hear your loudest amen? Amen. 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 Like I said, it's a sober teaching, but it's one that you need to act upon. Act upon it. Act upon it. Amen and amen. We're having our meet today. Mommy, your log Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.